Hello and welcome to The Legal Cut, where we dissect your favorite scenes from TV, film, and literature to see how they hold up under the law. I'm Daniel Weber. I'm John Santiago. What topic are we discussing today, John? Well, today we're asking the question, can the team from Inception be sued for fraud for planting a dream inside the mind of their target without his consent, causing him to dissolve his mega corporation? Yes, John, in Christopher Nolan's 2010 masterpiece, Inception, a team led by Leonardo DiCaprio's character Dom Cobb is led by the CEO of an energy conglomerate to implant an idea into the mind of his competitor in order to dissolve his company. What are we going to call today's episode, John? Let's call it We We Need need to to Go go Deeper. deeper. Now, (laughs) throughout... Now, throughout history, there have been numerous examples of people doing things because of dreams they've had. Uh, Paul McCartney composed the Beatles' song Yesterday in a Dream. Uh, Robert Louis Stevenson wrote Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde because of a nightmare. And even Christopher Nolan himself came up with the idea for the movie Inception through a series of lucid dreaming. And dreams are wild. They can be influential or they can just be nothing. I mean, I had a dream where I was seeing these people gathered around a rock. And I asked them, what are you guys doing by that rock? And they said, oh, hi. (laughs) Nonsensical. (laughs) I get up to the rock and a frog hops out. Well. What does it mean? I don't know, Dan. I think we need to go deeper. (laughs) (laughs) And in the movie Inception, they use dreams to make a man break up a massive company showing how influential dreams can potentially be for some people. John, have you ever done anything because of a dream? Not me particularly, but I do have this one friend, bless her heart, and she always justifies her actions by saying, well, in a dream someone told me, or in a dream I saw, and I I love her to death, but man, I think that's kind of crazy. Yeah, everybody's got their quirks, John. (laughs) Here's the facts we're running through today. Dom Cobb's team enters the mind of Robert Fisher with the intent to plant the idea to dissolve his father's energy conglomerate for a competitor's benefit. They sedate their target. They connect the whole Inception team up to the machine, and they enter the mind of the CEO. And that's set in rainy Los Angeles or some sort of city. Lo and behold, he's got mind defenses. We're talking an armed team. Lots of guns blazing, huge train, basically his mind bodyguards, right? Yeah, it's high-octane action while they're trying to repel the invading team. While in this level of Fisher's mind, they employ a version of Fisher's godfather, who suggests a reconsideration of Papa Fisher's will. But they they need need to to go go deeper. deeper. So what's the next level? Next level is in a hotel. I think is one of the coolest scenes of the movie. Are you talking about the hallway? The hallway with Joseph Gordon-Levitt running around. So good. But to the facts, John, let's keep it on target. (laughs) Just the facts, Dan. Just the facts. Just the facts. Just the facts. Here they persuade the target that he's been kidnapped and that they, the Inception team, are in fact his protectors. And you guessed it. They They need need to to go go deeper. deeper. This time, telling CEO Fisher that they need to go into the competitor's subconscious to get to the root of what he's plotting. Which, gasp, is a ruse. A ruse. A ruse. And then they have that final level kind of in the snow, right? I remembered it being a rather lackluster world for all the creative worlds they'd made before, but it's the snow fort. 
more action ensues. There's snowmobiles. There's automatic fire. But ultimately, they get Mr. Fisher to encounter a projection of his dying father, telling him that he needs to be his own man. And then the team hits that kick, and they all wake up, and everything is fine. And then there's that ending of the movie with the top. Top spinning on the table, happily ever after. Right? Or maybe not. That is a uh, debate for another podcast. Well, let's get into the law. But before we get into the fraud issue, we're going to have to talk briefly about legal jurisdiction. And I can already hear all of our law school friends are listening to this groaning because jurisdiction is not fun. But this action takes place in a very unusual location. Yeah, John, they're in a plane high above the ocean heading from Australia to California. Right, so we have to figure out which country's laws would apply in this situation. Just like how in the last episode, we used New York law because Spider-Man lives in New York City. We know Leonardo DiCaprio's character is American, and we can assume that their target, Robert Fisher, is also American because he's returning to Los Angeles to bury his deceased father. So we can assume that California would be able to claim jurisdiction? Yes, yes. And remember, fraud is both a criminal and a civil action. But in the high-flying world of corporate espionage, I think it would be more fun to examine how Fisher's company could respond to this invasion into their CEO's mind. And what are the jury instructions for fraud in a civil action, Dan? Okay, John, according to the California Civil Jury Instructions, section 1900, The elements of intentional misrepresentation, commonly known as fraud, are the defendant misrepresented to the plaintiff that a fact was true. Second element is that the defendant's representation was in fact false. Third element, the defendant knew that the representation was false when he made it, or that he made the representation recklessly and without regard for its truth. Four, the defendant intended that the plaintiff relies on that representation. Five, Plaintiff reasonably relies on the defendant's representation. Six, the plaintiff suffered some harm. And seven, the plaintiff's reliance on the defendant's representation was a substantial factor in causing this harm. Let's note that these are elements, not factors, meaning that every item must be present for the plaintiff to prevail. That's a challenging list to meet. You're saying that in order for the company to sue the inception team, they would need to prove it. All of that, right? Each and every one, John. Are there any elements that aren't in dispute here, Dan? I do believe that the intent of the defendants is not in controversy. Right. It's the purpose of their action. It's the purpose of the movie. Right. I also don't think that element two, that the defendant's representation was false, is in dispute because the Inception team knows that they're making all this up. That leads straight into element number three. The defendant knows this representation is false. Or they're doing it with reckless disregard to what the truth, in fact, is. Yeah, so I don't think element three is in dispute. What do you think about number four? That the defendant intended that the plaintiff rely on the representation. You know, that one seems to grow naturally out of steps two and three. I think element number four is the Inception team's main concern, right? Because if they don't perform this Inception properly, then Fisher will not rely on this false representation that they've made. So clearly, that's what they want him to do. I think that's why now, they ele- had to go deeper. <laughs> <laughs> now, element six, the plaintiff was harmed. In the movie, we don't actually know if Robert Fisher 
makes the decision to break up the company. But for the purpose of this episode, can we stipulate that Robert Fisher does in fact act on this dream, breaks up the corporation... To the detriment of himself and his company. Right. So can we agree to stipulate to that? Happy to stipulate to that, John. All right. And what about that last one, Dan? Element number seven. That plaintiff's reliance on the defendant's representation was a substantial factor in causing this harm. I can't really think of any other facts besides what we have on hand from the movie that would be the one factor causing this harm. So it looks like the only two elements that are truly in dispute are element number one, that the defendant represented to plaintiff that a fact was true, and element number five, that the plaintiff reasonably relied on the defendant's representation. Is that right? I think that's an excellent way to distill this list of facts to the real core of the issue, John. So let's talk about that first element. Did Leonardo's character represent to the CEO Fisher that a fact was true? Now, the definition of fact, according to Black's Law Dictionary, is, quote, an actual occurrence. Is the dream about Fisher's father wanting him to dissolve the company a fact? John, it could very well be argued that it is a fact. The dream itself would be difficult facts to present to a court of law. However, the actual fact that they're presenting is the will of the father, that his son walks his own path, and their intent with that fact is to have Fisher dissolve the company. I mean, they do have a lot of things rooted in reality, right? They do have the father who is dying of a sickness, as he did in real life. They do have this kind of distraught relationship between the father and the son, as it happened in real life. But what they did in the dream, would you call that an actual occurrence? I would put it like this. Let's say I'm trying to convince you of something right. to see it my way. Right, or convincing the listeners to see things your way, which you very well might do at the end of this episode. Thank you, John. <laughs> uh, I would say, yeah, that would be an occurrence. I feel, I feel you'd really be splitting hairs to uh, go down to the mattresses on whether or not the implanting of an idea, whether it be through a discussion or whether it be through the invasion of a man's mind and implanting a memory or a dream would be an occurrence. I'd say that's very much an occurrence, John. Okay, Dan, that's a good discussion on that first element. Let's talk about that fifth element. Did Fisher reasonably rely on the Inception team's representation? And in this case, that means, did he reasonably rely on the entirety of the dream? Now, this is where the plaintiff's case might fall apart, but I think they would try and make the argument, John, that the selection of two important figures in Fisher's life, his godfather, which they encounter on the first level of the dream, before they decide that they need to go deeper, and his father, who they find on the third layer of the dream. In terms of reasonably relying on a dream, That might be a little ludicrous. That might be a little goofy. See, that's where I immediately go, and that's what I immediately think. But how many times have we seen motivational speakers who are either businessmen or businesswomen, or even lawyers that we see in our practice who say things like, I just knew it because I had a gut feeling about it. Or they say things like, after 40 years of practicing the law, I just knew what I had to do. Everyone seems to go along with it, right? Mm -hmm. When you think about those things, it might not seem so ludicrous that a CEO of a major corporation says, hey, yeah, you know, I kind of been thinking this over. 
had some dreams about this, and we're going to do it out of my own intuition, right? That's right, John. Some people even take up methods such as hypnosis to try and do things such as quit smoking or to get past a past trauma. It's potentially arguable that this is a reasonable thing to do in light of those facts. Now, one more thing to consider about this element, Dan. We're talking about the CEO of a very large mega corporation. Do you think that just one dream from that CEO is a reasonable way to make a decision for a large corporation? We're not talking about a small mom and pop shop. Do you think one dream is enough? Well, John, I think that would depend on how deep the science of an inception idea goes. We could debate this for a long time because it's a real squishy set of facts. Is this just merely a dream? Or have they gone deep down into the subconscious levels of a man's mind and influenced him from the very root of where his decisions are made? And if we ever start a philosophy podcast, we will definitely delve into that issue. But for right now, I think you're right, Dan. We shouldn't go there. No, I think our listeners might be scrambling for the hills if we start one of those. (laughs) Now, speaking of that, Dan, are there any other potential crimes or bad actions you think we could have discussed instead of fraud or in addition to it right there's a multitude john we've got the battery of connecting this inception technology to fisher's mind uh that involves a contact that people would find you know offensive is there a potential securities fraud Oh, yeah, there could be fraud not just on the corporation or on Fisher, but on the entire market. We could look into securities exchange stuff. So we're just going to stick to fraud. Dan, do you have any closing arguments, any final thoughts about whether or not the Inception team and dreamy Leonardo DiCaprio should be held liable in a civil action? Thank you, John. Ladies and gentlemen of the audience, is nothing sacred? The essence of fraud is to convince someone through false statements and misrepresentations that they should do something against their own personal interests for the fraudster's benefit. Manipulation is key. Cobb committed fraud. Here's a clear case of fraud through the most amoral manipulation I've seen in fact and in fiction. The dying wish of a father, a man who built an empire to leave to his surviving son. The fraudulent misrepresentation that he wished his son To dissolve his life's work is appalling. The elements are clearly met. 1. Cobb represented not only that his father wanted Fisher to walk a different path from his own, but also through a false impersonation of his godfather suggested that he goes against his father's will. This is a clear false representation. 2. Their representation was false. The will itself is incontrovertible evidence that Fisher's father wanted his son to continue his legacy. Three, Cobb knew this representation was false. The efforts of subterfuge employed by his team to go against a dying man's will support this. This criminal Cobb, wanted for the murder of his wife, is no honest character. The secrecy and manipulation support that Cobb knew his representation was false. Four, it is undisputed that Cobb intended Fisher to rely on these falsehoods. Their scheme was to destroy Fisher's business. 5. Fisher reasonably relied on this representation. Cobb picked two dearly influential people in Fisher's life to tell these lies, his father and his godfather. They did this not by forging documents or hiring actors to play their part in some real-life scheme, but by invading his very subconscious. 
They went into his mind to plant these lies. Like a hacker goes into a computer to plant a virus. There can be no more reasonable reliance than on that of your own mind and memories. Six, also uncontested, is that the dissolution of a profitable enterprise harms Fisher, the entire company, and its investors. Finally, seven, Fisher's reliance on these implanted lies were a substantial factor in the dissolution of his business. The efforts employed through futuristic technologies show the great effort that this malicious team had to go through. Fisher had security measures in place. And most importantly, Fisher was on his way to living up to the inspiration of his mentor by running the enterprise he worked so hard to create. This is fraud, pure and simple. If you believe the mind is sacred, and if you believe the memories of your beloved family members now past are sacred, you must find for Fisher. You must find that Cobb committed fraud. Well said, Dan. Thank you, John. And how about you, John? Dreams feel real once we're in them. It's only when we wake up do we realize that something was wrong. And here, the Inception team did something that feels morally wrong. But you, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, cannot find them guilty of fraud under the law. First, the team did not misrepresent a fact. All they did was create a scenario, an act of theater, if you will, that involved Fisher and his father. They alluded to emotions and to the father's wishes, but this was all within a dream. When Fisher awoke, he knew he had been dreaming. He knew he did not experience all of those scenes in reality. The Inception team did not create fact. They only created fiction. Second, Fisher did not reasonably rely on the dream when he decided to act upon it. There was no indication in reality that his father's wishes in the dream were wishes in real life. Just imagine Fisher speaking in front of the board of the company, telling them that he is about to destroy it. And they ask, Robert, why are you doing this? And he replies, I dreamt about it. A businessman of his stature could not reasonably use a dream to justify his decisions. Now, it seems that the Inception team duped Fisher. Yes, Dan is right when he says that Cobb is wanted for murder. But the Inception team did not perform fraud. They included Fisher in Grand Theater and he acted on his own volition after the dream had ended. Go deeper into the evidence and find the team not guilty. Well said, John. Well, I think once again, we've covered all the bases, Dan. All right, John. Well, that's going to do it for today. Remember, we have an email account where you can submit questions, comments, and ideas for new episodes. Did the Inception team truly commit fraud? Let us know. That email is legalcut at gmail.com. What's that email again, Dan? That email, John, is legalcut at gmail.com. Tune in next time for more legal analysis of your favorite scenes from pop culture. I'm Dan. I'm John. And this has been The Legal Cut. Let's call it We, we Must Go. <laughs> Just read the script. But right. We Must Go Deeper? Yeah. Is it We Must or We Need To? Oh, fine. We'll go We Need To.